Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to urge in the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to urge in the Channelized Bimbingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. And welcome to the following on podcast from TalkSport. I'm John Norman and hopefully, like you, have been enjoying Freddie Flintoff's debut on the Sports Breakfast Show with Laura Woods and Ali McCoyce this week. We're going to dip into some of his best bits as well as hearing some of the other top interviews from across the TalkSport network, including this astonishing interview on the Drive Time Show between Darren Goff, Adrian Durham and the chairman of cricket at Essex, Ronnie O'Reilly. I fear that there's going to be a serious impact for cricket. You're chairman of cricket at Essex. Do you fear for county cricket, given the coronavirus and the impact it will have on clubs up and down the country? Yeah, there's no doubt about it. It's going to be uh, an absolute um, financial nightmare. I mean, first and foremost, we've got to make sure um, that we just get things right when it comes to the advice and, and naturally as things are moving forward, the social distancing and that is first and foremost. Health is everything. Sport is obviously a big part of our lives, but at the moment, it's a huge, um, you know, backstep from, from what we need and require. But from a cricketing perspective, the finances aid are absolutely going to be, you know, mad. It's going to be a crazy, crazy time coming forward. And we've just been very fortunate in the game that, you know, Sky, for example, have, have you know, when it comes to the contract. I've said, yeah, don't worry, they'll all still be paid for this summer, which is incredible on their behalf. It really is. Um, and, you know, them agreeing and, and, and sort of fulfilling the contracts and requirements on that, the funds for the game, it should survive um, this summer uh, moving on. But the problem is, what happens after that? Because you've got to plan ahead because this virus, as we know, this pandemic could come back again. Um, and when it comes to, you know, the game itself, when it comes to membership and support, the game doesn't survive on, on that alone. It's like, you know, your season ticket, you can't play, you know, players' wages just on season tickets alone. It's about the media rights, it's about the sponsorship, it's about the endorsements. And, you know, most all clubs are going to lose. They'll be invoicing nothing. There'll be no invoices going out or getting paid for any professional career club at this moment in time. And that could be all season. So that could be anything between one, and three, four, five million pounds straight off the bottom line. No invoices going out and nothing being paid. So wow. that's a huge impact to start with. Uh, fortunately enough, the money comes in from the ECB, um, you know, around about 1.3 million for the 100 ball rights, which again, that's the media rights. It comes into the central pot and then another 1.7 as well every year that they get. So three million pounds a year comes into, you know, most clubs. 
which is great, which is unbelievable. It keeps you going, but everything's going to be mothballed up until then because wages are still being paid out. Most people have been furloughed, which, which you kind of understand. But, for example, at Essex, we furloughed the staff, but we've made up the percentage difference. So everybody's still on the 100% wage that they were on before. Um, because we've got savings, we've, we've got a plan, uh, we've, we, you know, we've got an amazing committee, that's uh, all voluntary, but there's businessmen on that, and we have a plan that we have moving forward with monies that we're expected to come in from the ECB, but then realising where the reductions are going to be membership-wise, membership fees, sponsorship at zero, and taking account for all that and have a proper plan and balance and then chat and speak with the players all the time, let them know what's going on, explain to them, they may be sportsmen, but not idiots when it comes to money. Sit down with them and go through what you're planning and what you want to do. And it softens the blow and we'll get there eventually. Ronnie, have you got a plan for the worst case scenario or do you try and be positive in this as a cricket club and say, right, we could be playing in June or we could be playing in July. What, as far as Essex is concerned and the county game, not England, what is the best scenario for you guys this season? What format? Uh, if any, if you can get out onto the cricket pitch. Yeah, so I mean, naturally, yeah, the best scenario would be for us to start and, and play any of the T20, as you're suggesting, and, and even, you know, if the 100 ball was to go from the ECB, because that's money, that's media rights, that's Sky. But I guess from an accountability point of view, Darren, we're looking at the worst-case scenario of no cricket this summer, um, no sponsorship money coming in, because if cricket's played, naturally, you know, sponsorship, you can certainly have that as income coming in. You're invoicing for that for sponsors and, and you're hoping that, you know, social distancing and things, guys. It's, it's crazy. It's a crazy, crazy time. It's something nobody could predict uh, um, from that aspect. But I guess worst case scenario, we're looking at the losses that we'll take on the chin with our savings we have and our investments we've got as a club because we've, we've run sensibly. Certainly the last four or five years I've been involved, we've never... We've never overdone it. We've never overegged it. We've performed well. Blimey, we've won two county championships and a double with a T20. We've been amazing, the success we've had. But the finances, we've always run it tight. We've been sensible. Um, and from the aspect of worst-case scenario, there would be no cricket at all. Lose, you know, £1.5 million in sponsorship uh, when it comes to that. Obviously, the EC money, ECB money coming in is an absolute godsend. There's no doubt about that. The sponsorship money with ECB into the pot, into the counties, is a saving grace. It's just making sure you cut your cloth accordingly. And unfortunately, there's going to be casualties. There is going to be casualties, whether that's at some stage cutting the, the staff's wages of what they earn currently uh, with a reasonable um, I guess, figure, and then maybe saying to them, look, we'll extend your contracts for another year. We've not decided on that yet, but we're going to have to cut our cloth accordingly because when your wages every month are going out and you're balancing it all off with your accountability, at some stage when there's not anything coming in or less coming in, like I said, in sponsorship, the ECB money is still coming in, but in sponsorship is zero because nobody's going to sponsor anything when there's no games of cricket on. When it's zero, you have to cut your cloth accordingly. Unfortunately, there'll be casualties, whether that's people at the end of their contracts or whether it's a reduction in your current wages at the moment because cricketers naturally are not playing any cricket at all. There's nothing going on. Typically honest from uh, Ronnie O'Reilly there. And this is what Goffey had to say shortly afterwards. He's actually said Essex have managed their business really, really well aid over the years. They've not overpaid. They've ended up losing a the player because they wouldn't overpay. Ravi Papara's gone to Sussex. 
You know what I mean? So they budget accordingly, um, and they've looked at the worst-case scenario, which I think is the right thing to do. No money coming in, as you heard there. No invoices whatsoever. There's going to be no sponsorship coming in. Luckily, they've got the payment from the ECB uh, from the 100, and they've also got the payment from the uh, Sky, who have thankfully given the counties that forward money for this uh, for next season or whatever it is for this season, even though there's been no cricket uh, so far. I think it's a frightening situation for a lot of cricket clubs. I don't think it's this season the worry is. It's what happens ongoing. I think counties will be able to cope for this year just, but looking into next year, Aid, that's where the problem could start, where staffs get cut. They have to cut corners by releasing some of the young cricketers who have not had a chance this year to prove prove their form because we could end up having a season this year if we get any cricket whatsoever of just 2020 cricket. What happens to all them youngsters who play the longer form in the game? Nothing. It's a worry. They're the first yeah. ones to get who the counties will get rid of. Now, as part of their retro series, the Drive Time Show also had this interview with Kevin Peterson, looking back at his debut series for England in a place that the TalkSport cricket team knows so well, South Africa. I mean, Kev, the reason we got you on is to talk about this, uh, your first test series. Nobody had really, we'd played against you, but most people would have seen you play for knots now and again. You came onto that England scene, that one-day tour, out to yeah. South Africa, it was always going to be tough for you. Your first tour, can you believe it, was going to be to go back uh, to South Africa as an England player. It was always going to be a difficult ass, wasn't it? It, it was, and it, it was sort of the stepping stone for my career. I mean, I could have nicked Andre Nell that first ball at the Wanderers. I mean, I played at Mr. The ball rising outside the York stump. I could have nicked it straight to Smith at slip or Boucher um, or Callis at second slip, and I mean, my career could have taken a completely different course. It was, um, there hasn't been a situation, there hasn't been a noise, there hasn't been anything as uh, hostile as that crowd at the Wanderers uh, when I walked out to bat mm. on that Saturday or Sunday afternoon in South Africa. And being able to finish that innings, I think 18 or 22 not out, sort of set me up for the rest of my career, knowing nothing can physically, emotionally, uh, be more difficult than what I had to endure there for an hour. Well, the amazing thing is we won that first game in Joburg on Duckworth Lewis. It gave us all... Uh, a, a, we actually started to believe we were going to beat this South African side because when you look back, that South African team was serious, wasn't it? I mean, they had yeah. Smithy in it, they had Bouch, A.B. De Villiers, a young one, Gibbs, uh, Callis, Kemp, Kempy, Langevelt, uh, yeah. and Tini Pollock. I mean, and Jacques Rudolph and Prince. They had some fantastic players. They were at the peak of their powers, really. So they were a top, top side, weren't they? They were a very good side. And, yeah, I think it was a false sense of security winning in Johannesburg because we went to Bloemfontein and then we started to... Uh, have uh, have ourselves being met with a, a South African side that thought, you know what, we're going to have to get back into this here and uh, we're going to have to teach these guys who plays the best best cricket at this form. And they certainly did that, but um, it was a, I mean, it was a wonderful two and a half weeks. I mean, goodness, we had so much fun, didn't we? Oh, so much fun, mate. I mean, 
It, well, we can't talk about it on air but too much. But it, <laughs> we, we, had, we, we, we had a great time. Uh, we, 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 that's where we started to get on, and uh, I was kind of your bouncer on the, the, the build-up to it, and then it ended up being... <laughs> I didn't think I was going to play, I'll be honest with you. I was a senior statesman. I was 35 years old. The end of my career, you were the young kid on the block. He was kind of... Uh, just be there and, and be there to give him advice and, and we both ended up playing throughout that series uh, I missed the last one because I was ill but what I do remember is a couple of innings you played Kev I mean there was a, a, the, the innings your first hundred I think that was in Bloemfontein wasn't it that was a ridiculous yeah. one and why I remember that one and I'm sure that's the one where after uh, all the fans rang on um, after uh, at Bloemfontein and uh, it, it, it was unbelievable that game but for you guys, you got you got 108 of 96 deliveries. That was the real Kevin Peterson is here and he's here to stay innings, wasn't it? I I, I mean I I can't really remember it, Goffy. If I'm completely honest, I can't. It doesn't. I, I mean I, I know we've been talking about doing this interview for the last couple of days, and I'm trying to rack my brain to innings as on that trip. I remember certain shots that I played throughout the tour. Um, I can't really remember the innings too much. Uh, I've seen the scorecards and I know that I, I, I whacked it in Bloemfontein and then I I, uh, I I got a couple in East London or not so many. I think That I, was I your best one for me, Kevin. Yeah. That, that one in East London because the lights were shocking. I mean, realistically. Yeah, the lights, that's the one. That's, yeah. pro- that's where I was probably leading to. I was going to say that on that innings, or on that tour, I think the one, because I, I mean, I set the one-day record for England with Josh, Josh Butler only beat last year. And... Um, it was, I mean, I think it was only off about 69 balls. And it was, it was, it was a gloomy evening. It was cold. It was wet. It was miserable. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just on a, on a certain day when you get yourself in your zone and uh, a footballer will talk about it, a rugby player, a cricketer, a golfer. Um, when you get in the zone, I mean, in cricketing terms, your ball, the ball feels like it's as big as a football and wherever you try and hit it, the ball goes. And miss hits go for six. And if you're trying to hit a ball in an area, it ends up in another area and it goes for one bound four. And you think you're out, but it actually lands short of the fielder. But that, that was probably one of the evenings where, um, oh yeah, goodness, any, anything I touched um, that, uh, that couple of hours was, was turning out to be pretty positive. But I don't think we won that game. I don't think we won another game, did we? <laughs> no. We had no, no result in Durban, yeah. <laughs> I think the, um, the the fans have booed you in Joburg, haven't they? And in Bloemfontein, I think they turned their back on you. And then after that yeah. century in Bloemfontein, Kev, you, you kissed the badge on the helmet. And I think mm. the, that caused a massive <laughs> stir, didn't it? Do you, do you actually regret that or not? Oh, Jesus. Um, yeah, I do regret that. Um, there's a few things. There's a hairstyle that I didn't particularly... Well, when I look back now, I don't particularly enjoy a hairstyle. There's a few few things that went on in in my formative years, which I just uh, sometimes look back on and go, you absolute knob. Um, But listen, it was the makeup of it was the makeup of what I was about at that time. And uh, I was in a in a fairly um, confrontational battle with um, the country of my birth. And. I was having to throw punches because punches were being thrown to me on the field, off the field, in the media. Um, and it was, I suppose, the making of uh, my tenacity and my fighting spirit for that white line fever that you call it when you walk over, the, walk over to bat, that 
no confrontation can be bigger than what happened over that 10-day, 12-day period uh, in, in, for the rest of my career. No ashes battle facing McGrath or Warren or Muralitherin or um, uh, anybody to, to that matter. Nothing could have been bigger than that emotional battle that I had for, for 10, to, 10 days, two weeks. I agree totally with you. And when I look back at it now, and I think, yeah, I can remember Bowley. I'd not really played against you then. I might have played one game against you. I don't think you got any when you were at Notts. Mm. And then suddenly you're playing for England. I remember bowling at you in the nets before we played, because we were there for about a week, 10 days, weren't we, before? Yeah. Because uh, they were still playing the Test Series. And I remember bowling at you in the nets and thinking, dear me, this kid can play, can't he? I said, it's ridiculous. And I remember Duncan Fletcher... Was it the five-minute five lift or was it the pull shot that I played off you in the Centurion <laughs> Yeah, it was the, uh, the five-minute lift and the, uh, and the pull shot, which were... <laughs> but that was an amazing thing. And I remember Duncan Fletcher came to me and said, just keep an eye on him because this kid can play. And, and I still thought then, I said, well, there's no way they're going to pick him in the ashes yet. But after yeah. seeing some of the innings throughout that series, and you finished at Centurion with another 100, uh, your mm. third of the trip was ridiculous. And I was looking through some of the averages because I knew I were interviewing for this, Kev. Did you know that series, in seven mm. matches, you scored nearly, well, you scored 454 runs at 151. At a strike rate, this is what I find amazing, a strike rate of 105.58. This is in 2005, by the way. Any mm-hmm. other player in our side, the next best strike rate was Vikram Solanke on 77. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. I, I, uh, yeah. I, I, you know what? Also, as a sportsman, I think you'd know that when you get into that zone and you get into that bubble and you're so emotional, things can go one of two ways. You can um, freeze or you can fight. And I think I, I just got into the fighting mode because of how emotional the whole situation was for me. And like I say, it could have it could have gone horribly wrong if I'd nicked Andre Nell that first ball at mm. the Wanderers. Uh, they could have been all over me, and I could have been an emotional wreck two weeks later. I might have been dropped two or three games later, and you might have never seen me again. Um, but yeah, it, 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 fortunately enough for me, it went the other way, and I was able to forge um, quite a long career. Part two to come of the interview. Meanwhile, Freddie Flintoff was asked about KP and he had this to say about his old teammate on The Breakfast Show. Great play on the ground. Straight into the stands. That's the record for Kevin Peterson. Seven sixes in an innings against Australia. Got four more. The man in the deep is too scared to stop that. Brings up the 150 for Kevin Peterson. One of the things Kevin, I thought, didn't understand was why people couldn't be better. I think because he was so good, he couldn't get his head around the fact that people couldn't do some of the things he could do. And then on the flip side of that was, I think it frustrated him that some people didn't train and work as hard as him. Um, I don't know if baggage... Baggage is probably not the right word, because I, I felt every time Kevin went to the crease or he was playing, he was trying to prove something. You know, he's South African by birth. He came to yep. England, um, had an amazing career. But I always felt he was trying to prove something. And I think sometimes his behaviour and that little tinge of arrogance, which I think is a brilliant thing as a batsman to have, I think he was overcompensating sometimes, a little bit of insecurity in himself. I think we all we all have that, and it manifests itself in different ways. England 474 for eight. 
and England have declared. Imperious knock from Kevin Peterson, 202 not out. For all the stuff that he supposedly said and done, I would take it all to have that player. Every time he went out there, you knew something was going to happen. You was in the game. Uh, as I say, a professional, brilliant. And you know what? There's a lot of people that I play cricket with I, I'm not in contact with after a career. Kevy's actually one where I see up and down the country from time to time. I would have dinner with him. I get the odd text from him here and there. Um, but unbelievable. It was so sad what happened at the end of his career. You know, he's probably cut short by about three or four years for whatever reasons. He could have been... You know, he was, he was good, but he could have been our best. Over to you, KP. First of all, can you believe he gets up to start a radio show at 6am, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday on TalkSport? <laughs> you should have seen the state of Freddie in the mornings of a, in, in, in a test. Exactly. <laughs> you should have seen what his uh, area on day four, day five of a test match... Um, I suppose we weren't very good in those days in, in test cricket. So, I mean, we uh, we were normally done in three and a half days. So probably on three and a half days, you should have seen what his area in the dressing room looked like. My goodness. So to to see him, and I mean, I do I do speak to Freddie. I was in contact with him a couple of days ago. Um, uh, and I love the space that he's in. I love uh, where he's at. Um, he, he, um, he changed the way that uh, he viewed things. And... I've done a couple of TV shows with him and spent quite a bit of time with him. And I love the space that Freddie's in. Doing so well for him, his family and stuff. And, and, and it's so good. I just wish that Freddie um, was as when he played as he is now. He, I mean, he's oh, he's catwalk model. I won't go that far, but yeah, he's, he's in great shape. Uh, but I, I totally agree with you. I was getting up at that time in the morning. I used to see him asleep outside his room. He never even used his room half of the time we were on tour. He was a shocker. <laughs> Especially, do you know what I mean, those early days. He was an absolute nightmare, wasn't he, to control? Is he, is he, in, the, is he in the studio in London? Uh, well, not at the minute because he's having to obviously work uh, from home. But um, it'll be interesting what happens uh, once we all get back to normal. But Kev, I mean, you heard what he said about you there. He, he talks about um, he, he would have you in his side any day of the week and some of the innings you played. When you look back at your career and some of those innings, which yeah. one stands out for you? I mean, there were some belters in there. There was the Mumbai one, which I thought was your best. But there was that one against um, Australia at the Oval. Uh, you yeah. got 200 against India at Lords. Uh, Sri Lanka, yeah. where you, you, you didn't mess about uh, there. So which one stands out for you, mate? It's, it is Sri Lanka, the last one you talk about. And uh, it's raised a lot of eyebrows. I mean, I, I think I tweeted about it or, or somebody sent me something on it a couple of weeks ago and I put out on social media. And, uh, it was definitely Sri Lanka because, in, I, I mean, I was air conditioning on in the middle of winter here at home in, in the UK <laughs> when it's freezing outside because... I'm just, I get so clammy and I get so hot in spaces. So when you turn up in Sri Lanka, it's four or five degrees, it's 100% humidity, and when you're wearing sunnies, as soon as you leave the dressing room, an air-conditioned room, your sunnies condense straight away. You've got to take them off and clean them again because you walk into a wall, a humidity, a, a wall of humidity. And when you break through that barrier, you've then got to run in that humidity and then me being a very, 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 very big sweater, I've got to try and deal with 
all sorts. You've got to deal with the bowlers in Sri Lanka. You've got to deal with the conditions of the wickets. And at the same time, I'm just going through pairs of gloves off, pairs of gloves off, the pairs of gloves. So from a, a, a mental standpoint, I thought that there's no way I could ever bat for longer than a session, a session and a half in a test match in Sri Lanka. I toured there previously in Muralitha and in Chindavast and all them. And I batted in Colombo, the one test match, and I, I blocked. Um, Muratharin and uh, Chimindavar, every I got about 30 or 40 and I, I got too hot and I was like I actually can't play anymore and uh, laps of concentration and I got my spouse and I said to myself the next time I go back to Sri Lanka, I said I'm incredibly proud of my numbers and of my statistics, the only way I'm going to get a home and away test 100 against every nation I can't, I can't do it against Sri Lanka unless I go out there and just swing and it was a I mean, it was an incredibly hot day. Uh, it took me a session and a half. And if it was up, it was in the car park. Uh, and that's just how I approached that day. I just decided that it was it was a day for me to go out there. I was seeing the ball well. I was hitting the ball nicely. I, I was playing spin as well as I'd ever played in my career. And I just decided if it was anywhere near, um, I was going to use my levers and go after it. And, um, yeah, I suppose the rest is history. Um, let's. Uh, Sir Andrew Strauss uh, appeared on My Sporting Life on Talksport. Kev recently he had this to say about you. Outrageous talent, by far the most talented cricket I ever played with. I think for large, large proportions of our time together, Kevin and I got on pretty well. You know, we had that sort of you know, South African roots and and a respect for each other because we kind of came into the team at the same time. Without trying to generalise too much, South Africans can be quite spiky at times and whatever. So I sort of gave him quite a lot of latitude. And I definitely as captain, I felt it was really important that we didn't try and sort of straight jacket him. Like he had to, we had to give him the, the excuse to go out and play his way. Even though that was difficult sometimes because he'd play outrageous shots at the wrong time you're like what are you doing but that was how he got so many runs in the first place so you know I think I was very conscious and especially because I took over as captain when he'd sort of been removed as captain and exactly. so I was conscious of that relationship and you know by and large I think he dealt with that exceptionally well um, but it, look it did come to a head at the end and you know there were all sorts of issues at play and you know Kevin had fallen out with the ECB over the IPL and he wasn't happy in the team and he went too far you know I'm not going to make excuses for him he went too far and he did things that I didn't feel well they were definitely weren't in the interest of the team in my opinion and so you know I called him out on it and and that was the sort of the deterioration of the relationship for a period of time mm. I think Kevin, the, I don't want to go over old ground here, but I want to. I want to go back to what, what Freddie said about how sad it is that your your England career was sh- cut short three or four years. So, what's your reaction to all of that, mate? You know what? If I answer this, then it's going to create it's going to be headlines all over the papers tomorrow. So, I I I'd prefer to just leave it. We're in a we're in a state where everybody's struggling. There are sportsmen out there that are doing the most amazing things. I really and truly right now don't want to get into a, uh, a discussion about what Andrew Strauss has said because some of the stuff he's there is complete nonsense and I could set up with very, very, very good um, information that I could give you. So 
from my side, I just I I'm, really don't think in the present climate of where everybody is and all our listeners are and what's happening in the world, it's it's for me. I mean, Wisden or something tweeted something the other day about my career or something, and I was just like, Jesus, guys, right now is not the time. Please, let's talk about fun things, positive things, amazing things. Let's try and there's enough bad news out there. <laughs> Poking at poking at bad um, bad things, so I'd prefer to just leave that. I'll tell you what I will ask you, Kev, about some of the series you played in. Which one sticks out for you as the series which pleased you the most? Was it 2005? Uh, was it winning in Australia, the first time for a long, long time for England to win a series over there? Uh, yeah. when, uh, or or was there something else I'm missing? The, the World Cup, winning the World Cup in the Caribbean, the T20 oh, yes. World Cup, beating Australia in Barbados, I think was my proudest team moment. That was a, well, apart from um, the Ashes in 2005, that was probably my proudest sort of team moment um, to be able to get over the line because it can have a history up until when uh, they won the World Cup last year of just not being able to get to that final hurdle in World Cups and we all know um, how much uh, impetus the ECB put into making sure that England had a great chance to do it last year by uh, favouring white ball cricket, and they did it well, and they won the World Cup, so uh, all, all fair play. But it wasn't a priority. To one day cricket, T20 cricket, was just something that England sort of turned up at World Cups, and we would stumble at, at, at a particular time, and we played the World Cup in 2007 in the Caribbean, and we won a couple of games, lost some very easy games that we should have won, and, and we're on. We're, we're almost always the first team back to leave the country uh, of where the World Cup is being played. But that particular tournament, to get to that period of the tournament and to still be playing the cricket that we played, uh, my son was born during that tournament, so I did a 48-hour flight um, uh, back to London to see Dylan being born and then back to the Caribbean and... Uh, four or five days later, winning the World Cup with the team. And, I mean, it was, yeah, I think that's probably the biggest standout and, and, and like, the coolest achievement. Absolutely. Uh, something I wasn't part of, anyway. <laughs> my boys, uh, my boy come and tapped me uh, the other day um, and said, uh, did you know... KP um, I got asked who was the best bowler he'd ever faced. I said, what did he say, Darren Goff? And he said, no. He said, <laughs> Mohammed, Mohammed Asif. Is that right? Mate, when he bowled no ball at Lord's, there wasn't just me who was telling him, ban him, ban him, ban him. There were plenty of batters out there. The Pontings called him unbelievable. Hashim Amla said he's the greatest bowler he ever faced. I had no idea against Mohammed Asif. And just yesterday morning, morning before, somebody tweeted the video of him knocking me over again. And uh, I did. I, just, I said there, he was, the, he was the bowler that I found the most difficult to face. So when he did that no ball and he was banned from cricket for a while, I said there's a lot of batters out there who were very happy with, with the no ball he bowled. Superb. Absolutely. Absolutely brilliant. Kevin, listen, it's been great to have you on. Really appreciate you taking the time uh, coming on the no show. Worries. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, and I just, I just, please just respect that I don't, I don't really want to create it. I've had so much nonsense. I'm in such a happy space. I hear these things. I saw exactly what Strauss did last week because it, it was reported. And you see everything on social media. I prefer to just leave it. And we played golf last year. We 
had fun and I speak to Straussy and stuff and I'm in such a happy space. Everything's so cool that I prefer to just leave things and just live a happy life. You know what, Kevin, I, I just messaged uh, Goffey saying you're a class act for that very response. So fair play to you. And, and uh, I just think it was a brilliant response from you. So thank you very much. No worries. <laughs> I know you've got those questions. It's absolutely fine. But I'm, I live such a happy life. I'd rather just leave everything and leave Strassi and everybody. We're all good. No Excellent. problem, mate. Get back to your chipping practice and I'll see you soon. <laughs> <laughs> see you guys. Yeah, uh, brilliant, the brilliant Kevin Peterson with us live on Drive on TalkSport. So a superb interview there between Kevin Peterson and uh, the boys on Drive. But breakfast, well, they try to do better. Well, so they tell you. Here's what happened when Freddie Flintoff was reunited with his old foe, show actor. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago... If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Now, in, in, in essence, Joey Baxter had the fastest ball in the world who used to have a go at me every time we batted. We used to have a tussle, uh, verbals, all sorts. Eventually, I snapped and accused him of looking like Tarzan and bowling like Jane, to which he got me out a very a few balls later. When he, he, he let me know about it. Of course he did. Of course he did. Old Showib. Good old lad, Showib. <laughs> well, we put it out on Twitter. We put your story out on Twitter. And um, he got in touch. He saw it. Uh, he did, yeah, and he said something along the lines of it's, it's not how he remembers the situation. Um, so we gave oh. him a, we gave him a call, and we organised this, and we got him to participate in our show this morning. So I'm delighted to say, on the other end of the line is Show Bakhtar. Good morning, how are you, sir? Good morning, good morning, <laughs> good morning. Hello, Freddie. Good morning, Show. How are you, Freddie, old mate? You all right? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. How's your knees? Tell me first about your knees. Because my knees are gone. I tell you what, the, no wonder you used to run in so far, uh, bouncing everywhere, getting down the other end all angry and aggressive. Uh, my my knees are in bits. Uh, I've started to feel my age now. I'm 42, Shoaib, and it's all catching up with me. What about you? What are you up to? I'm just staying at home and uh, doing nothing when basically in quarantine. Islamabad, you've been to Islamabad. You've been here many times yourself. But uh, yeah, yeah. A few times, yeah. situation doesn't look that good, man. But we're coping up. Show it. I heard you, uh, I hope you heard a second ago, Freddie just basically telling the story. And I think you probably heard it the other day on Twitter as well. Um, before we yeah. get to that story, what was it like facing Freddie? You know what? Uh, we know Freddie before he played for England because we got to know about Freddie Flintoff that we knew uh, through Vasim Akram because he played for Manchester and he knew 
he was talking about this young little kid who's coming up. Is the highly talented is going to be next Ian Botham of England, <laughs> and we were very curious to know who's that kid is. So, so the finally, then I finally faced him in Sharjah somewhere. Then he then uh, back in 1998, I think the Holyoke was the captain, and Freddie was yeah. batting, and I was standing in the cover. Then he was hitting sixes of Saklan Mushtaq. He was hitting so furiously, so powerfully. I was standing scared. I said, "This guy is really, really powerful." And um, then we saw him ball, and then we realized that you know, okay, you know that we know that you know this guy is multi-talented. And um, then over the period of time that he grown up to be one of the nicest and the greatest cricketer, and then the Ashes was his uh, is the highlight of his career. So we just thoroughly enjoyed batting uh, against him, bowling against him, but at the same time he was a great competitor, and we knew that this guy is a team and a half himself. At the same time, he could win matches for England single-handedly. This is the quality that you can't buy and acquire very easily. Yeah, I, I remember that um, making my debut in Sharjah in that one-day international. I think I was batting five or six. And the night before, you know, you, you have your team meetings and you sit down and you go through all the players. They put the fear of God into us. <laughs> we saw Shoyab Akhtar hitting people on the head on videos, getting everyone out. And then as I was waiting to bat, Neil Furbrother, one of the older players, old pros, Lancashire lad, was next in. He was counting the balls down. He's thinking he's only going to bowl five overs. And he's getting up to like nearly 100 miles an hour. And I'm thinking, I don't need this on my debut. I don't think I faced him in the first one, but show him to to play against. He, he was quick, he was aggressive, but I, have you changed now? Because you, you weren't the most mellow person on the field. It's like a different book we're speaking to here, show him. You used to have a right go. Yeah, I know. But uh, remember the World Series, you know, Freddie, uh, let me tell you a little story about the World yeah. Series that we went to Australia. I... I had uh, about four injections in my left knee and right knee. So I told Polly, I said, Pollock, I, I, I don't think I'll be able to play bones. And let me just have a good time in the series. So I don't want to come. I don't want to come to the ground and everything. Please just let me be myself because I won't be able to play. And then you guys were coming up to Pakistan. And uh, the Pakistani management dropped me before they even announced the team. They said, we're not going to play you because you don't seem fit enough. And uh, Inzi was the captain. So what I did is I've got another seven jabs in my knees, in my right knee, and then in my left knee is about five more jabs. So depomedral, which you call it. So then I went to play against you guys in Multan. Freddie, I I swear of my life that I could not feel my legs for five days in those test matches. And uh, you guys could, could have won very easily. But I did not know where I was landing my foot. I did not know where my legs was. And I was talking to my teammates. I said, my legs are paralyzed. I can't feel nothing. He says, you have taken too many injections to get back in the team. I said, uh, but, you know, this is very critical. This is the best team of England has ever landed to shows of Pakistan. So I think we've got to win this. I've got to make a comeback. So that's where you, that's how you've seen me, a different human being. What you have seen me in Australia, yeah. what you have saw me in Pakistan, I was completely different because I just wanted to get back. So, but the pain was so immense, Freddie, that, you know, remember I was bowling against you in Faisalabad. I was bowling your bouncers. So I was actually was yeah, really angry at you. I saw you, you, you uh, bowled me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was really angry at you because I was telling Nzamam, I said, Nzamam, I want to hit that guy. I said, he's too big of a guy. You can hit him anyways. I said, listen, can I come round the wicket? 
Can I come round the wicket? I can I bowl a beam on? He says, no, no, no. This is against the ethicals. Can you just bounce him? And I said, okay. So what we did is we started bouncing you. And remember that the slender went off. There's a big blast in the ground, remember? It was all of a sudden, boom. Yeah, the, the, we thought it was some kind it was of like a, a gas canister. <laughs> yes, gas canister, yeah. We just went off. And we just like, we were seriously scared. I was seriously scared myself. But let me tell you, Freddie, um, uh, let me ask you a couple of questions. When you were bowling at Lord's, at the very last of your uh, uh, career, you were bowling reverse swing, you were bowling out swing, you were bowling great bouncers, you you know you're bowling. You know? We're always surprised to know, as a Pakistani, because we, this is our forte, to bowl a reverse swing. How well did you bowl with the reverse swing? How did you manage to do that as an Englishman? We were seriously surprised to see that as a Pakistani. This guy, Simon Jones, and, and this guy, Andrew Frentoff, consistently bowling reverse swing. And how do you acquire that knowledge? Well, you, you, you mentioned it before. Um, I, I played at Lancashire at 16 years of age. Wazim Akram, one of my heroes, someone I look up right. to so much, and I'm sure you're the same, took me under his wing, and I spent so much time with him. I used to feel a slip when he was bowling. I used to pick up all these tips of reverse swing and thumb positions. And I think my action a little bit lended itself towards reverse swing as well. So Wazim had a massive part in my career, and I, I, I loved the bones of the man. Um, but what one thing I found with you when I was playing against you, Shoaib, it was hard enough to face the ball coming down at that speed. But the other thing, yeah. which I don't know if you was aware of, people used to play against you as well as a person. People wanted to... Mm take you down was that something that you was aware of as you was charging into ball was that something that you played on taking me down like in what sense well in in, in a sense of where he is he, he runs in from the boundary he's going to have verbals and sometimes you can you can get distracted on just trying to play the ball you play the man as well and i thought that was one of the things that you use so well through your career you know i've, I've just got into fight with matthew hayden uh, uh the first game of the world cup we lost it and uh I completely lost it. Me and Matthew had never got on really well. I mean, the, the people I... The, the, he was dreading uh, the person he's dreading for because it was me. He just... He never knew about me. He used to call me, you're a C-class uh, actor and a low-grade fast bowler. <laughs> so I said, Matthew, I'm going to just gonna have a go at you in the, during the World Cup. Uh, bad luck for me that, you know, we lost, lost the game and it was really bad luck on top of that. We got into... Uh, for a breakfast... Very early in the morning, I'm not going to get into details, Matthew and myself was alone, standing, having a breakfast, and we having a verbal chat, and we got into fight. A really, really bad fight. So so the thank God for that, Mafia who came in and just like, you know, pushed us away. But Matthew was the one guy, and Justin Langer, and another guy who used to, you know, tease me. They used to ask me to bowl quick and quick and quick. And I went after them and they, they, they actually wasted a lot of energy in Melbourne test matches, in the Perth test matches. But I hit them uh, very badly. I hit Matthew Hayden about five times in a three overs. So that guy never moved an inch. So I was shocked to see that, that these guys getting hit. But the people used to, you know, get under my skin very badly. At times, you know, uh, uh, I've, I faced many problems with the management, you know, I faced many problems with the batsmen. But... Having said all of that, Freddie, um, you know, I've got to be thankful to you. Had it, had it not for you, Freddie, I would, my career would have been long gone before I even know it because that was the series against England 
if you wouldn't have treated yeah. me, I'm not going to say badly, but you just motivated me enough to get back in the side. So I just got an injection. Was, I said, no, I'm going to go out there and just want to come. Was there anything in particular that I, I, I did to motivate you? Yeah. Uh, what you did, I think, uh, not not let's not be rude to each other. Just I just thought I thought your behavior was a bit uh, rude towards me, and I thought you did not could not fully understand me because on this tour in Australia, you know, we all were having a great time. I didn't think that you could understand me better because we never got to spend time much together. And then on top of that, you said a famous line: "You look like a thousand ball, like a Jane." So I said, "This Jane can bowl fast, so let me show this guy to you." And um, I remember talking to Harmison. Um, I said, Hamson, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna really hurt you guys. I'm gonna hurt you. He says we're gonna hurt you back, bro. So I said that's fine, but uh, I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna go after this guy, this Freddie. So uh, Michael Trescothic wasn't in a good form. So uh, you were in a good form, even a top-notch form. You were bowling at your best of your career, and uh, but you know somehow you helped me to get back in a side, Freddie. Had it not for you, bro, uh, it would have been very difficult for me because they were dropping me from the team. They were, they were saying that you, you're not going to pick you for the team. So I just uh, I said, listen, give me one test match. If I perform, then I perform. If I don't, let it go. Then all of a sudden, you know, just started picking off and bowling a slow run deliveries in test matches. So started getting people out. So thank you very much, Freddie. Brilliant stuff uh, between Freddie, Laura and Shoaib Actor. And we've got one final offering for you as Ian Abraham spoke to former Northants captain Alex Wakeley about how the coronavirus is affecting life at his county and what it means for his testimonial year. Of course, this was going to be a real special season for you, your benefit year. I mean, an awful lot goes into setting up a benefit year, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Um we, my team really put in a lot of hard work for me to to, to get my program together. Um, obviously, I'm gutted um, at the moment. There's still uncertainty about whether I can have it next year or not. Um, hopefully, we can, but that's out of my hands at the moment. Um, but let's be honest, there's far more important things than my my testimonial at the moment. Um, we just need to get back on track. The economy needs to get back on track, and we need to start playing sport again. Apropos of that. Um... Let's talk about your sport because while football is, everyone's saying about clubs could go to the wall, leagues could go to the wall. I mean, surely the same applies with bells on in cricket. I mean, there isn't the sort of money in cricket there is in football. How worried are you that we're we're not going to have the number of counties we've got now and the number of you know leagues? I mean, people come through different leagues to go and play county cricket. Yeah, it, it is a real uncertain time. I mean, make no mistake, it, it's going to be tough. It's especially going to be tough for the smaller clubs. But even some of the bigger clubs, um, I know that some of the bigger clubs that have pumped lots of money into getting the stadiums to where they are now, and they were in lots of debt. Um, the ECB um, had promised um, counties, uh, I think it's 1.3 million every year because of this new 100 tournament. Um, and suddenly there's uncertainty over that as well. So, yeah, cricket, like the rest of the world, um, is in so much uncertainty. We don't know. As individuals, it's worrying. Um as players, we don't know. We, we were furloughed as of Tuesday. Um, we don't know what's going to happen with our salaries, with the future of the clubs, and especially contracts. Um, as sportsmen, we've got uh, we, we play to our contracts. We've got seven players that are out of contract at the end of the year, and we don't know what knock-on effects that's going to have on them. Yeah, I mean, as you say, I mean, the, 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 a lot of players would be out of contract as as within football. Yeah, it is. Um, that, that's the nature of contract work. Just because it's sport makes it no different to anyone else. But it, it is uncertain. Uh, 
uh, I've spoken to them. I've spoken to the coach. I've spoken to our chief executive, and they can't say anything. They can't promise anyone anything. They they don't know what's going to happen themselves. So, at the moment, it is it's quite a scary time. Um, I know that most of my team are just sitting at home, just waiting. We're waiting for a phone call. We're waiting for a phone call from the ECB to say we're going to start again. But at the moment, obviously, that nothing's going to happen. Um, everyone's following government guidelines. The ECB will be told when they can get sport on. But if you ask me, I think that we'll be playing for sport behind closed doors. I think the 2020 top season later on in the year, they might try and get it on. Um, it'll be in-house. won't be anyone allowed in. And maybe they'll just try and get the telecameras there. That's really interesting what you say about playing behind closed doors because that, that's the way it looks like being in football. I mean, I, I'm struggling to kind of imagine the football season finishing without a crowd. A 2020 match without a crowd, I mean... Wow, oh. I mean, I, I know you don't play in front of many, with respect, in the in the county championship game, but twenty twenty night is different. It's packed. The fireworks go off. The music's blaring. Yeah, you know, you know if you, you all hear each other sort of going under your breath, saying to whatever you're saying, I mean, that, that's going to be really weird, isn't it? Oh, it'll be so strange. Um... For us, as cricketers, as domestic cricketer, 2020 is what it's all about. That's the days you get your buzz, you walk out there, you've got your atmosphere, if you're standing on the boundary, you get the hairs on the back of your, back of your neck, you get a bit of stick from the crowd, you get a bit of interaction. That's what we play for. Um, and without that, it's going to be so strange. That, that's what sport's all about. Sport's about pressure and atmosphere and the theatres that it creates. And we're not going to get any of that. It's going to be totally strange. I mean, regardless of what sport you're playing, without a crowd, it's going to be hard. And I know people are going to say, professionals, you've got to get on with your job. But you need the crowd. The crowd are your extra player. The crowd get you going. The crowd get your energy up. They get you buzzing. And without that, it's going to be very strange. It's almost worth saying, let's not bother playing. Let's not have the 2020 season. I mean, let's, let's just go next year. Well, I guess there'll be certain players saying that. The problem is for, for cricket clubs, um, that's where they make the money. They, they don't make money from county championship. They, they make money from getting people through the, through the turnstiles for 2020, from, from beer. Um, if, they can't, if they can't come, and all you're getting is TV money. I know I'm saying all you're going to get is TV money, but if the players on hold say, listen, we can't perform properly when, when there's no atmosphere, yeah, oh, I don't know. I don't know what they'll do. It's going to be, I mean, ultimately, like you said, it comes down to TV. TV pulled the strings across all the sports now. Um, uh, there'll, there'll be deals that Sky have already got contractually, um, and I'm assuming it will just carry on. If they want us to play behind closed doors, we're going to have to find a way of doing it. Um, it's going to be very strange. If you're playing in a massive stadium, if you're playing at Edgebaston or Trent Bridge in front of an empty crowd, you're going to be able to hear, you're going to be able to shout to someone on the other side of the ground, and it's going to echo all around the ground. <laughs> Have you ever played literally with, with, well, I suppose most county championship days, there's not very many there, but there's still some. Yeah, uh, no, I mean, county championship, the game just sort of unfolds. It's slow, it's serene. You, you deal with it. But like I said earlier, when you need the you need the atmosphere to get you going. And sometimes we've, we've played friendlies as T20s against other teams as practice games with no one there. It's just bizarre. It's really hard to motivate yourself to get up for it. Um, that from the moment you turn up and you're walking in the door uh, two hours before the game, you, you suddenly start getting those the nerves, the, the butterflies in your stomach. Um, and that's all around with everything that goes with it, with the TV cameras there, with the people walking in, with the people that want your autographs and the crowd and the kids. And without that, it's just going to be so strange. And I, I don't know this, but I'd, I'd imagine it will be harder to get the quality to where it was when you've got a big crowd. Now you're, you're not a bowler, you're a batsman. Um, I kind of think if I was a bowler... I'd still be able to maybe 
don't know, go out in the street, mark out 22 yards and bowl at a dustbin or in the back garden. But as a batsman, you need someone to bowl at you. Has, has the wife been doing that? She's been fulfilling a, a role well, properly during the <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm beating my four-year-old daughter a lot at the moment. Um, keep hitting a few balls over the fence. But no, at the moment, honestly, it's so hard. What can we do? Um, as cricketers, we've done all our hard work. We've had since September to hit cricket balls. We've been... We've had six months, really, of hitting cricket balls in the indoor school. For us now, it's about trying to stay fit, trying to be creative. I live in the middle of nowhere on a farm. I've been building all sorts of things as temporary gym equipment. Um, and ultimately, for me, the positive side of it is I get to, to spend time with my family. Um, at this time of year in the cricket season, we don't normally get that. We're normally all over the place, travelling around the country. So... For once, it's been nice. I mean, I've turned into a full-time dad. That's pretty hard. I've got, I've got serious respect for these teachers that teach four-year-olds because it's tough work. <laughs> Homeschooling not going so well, then, though. Right? It's going well. It's just hard. We've had to have a little break for Easter. I think more for me than for her, really. <laughs> <laughs> you wait till they get to the teenage years. Believe me, that, that's, that's even tougher. Yeah, everyone says it just gets harder and harder just for different reasons. Uh, football. Um, obviously, you're a massive Chelsea fan as well. Uh, and I guess not having football has also been a bit of a um, a gaping hole for you because you know that that'd have been a, that's that's what you use, isn't it, as a sort of uh, to turn off and, and not think about the cricket. Yeah, massively. Um, I mean, it's it's so weird not being able to turn on the telly in the morning and just hear people talking about football. Um, what have we had now? Four weekends in a row, five weekends in a row without football, and it's just bizarre. Um, I mean, the only saving grace is at the moment we can't. I can't watch Liverpool stomp away with a title. Um, that's one saving grace as a Chelsea fan. But it's just bizarre. I mean, it's been so exciting as a Chelsea fan to watch them this year. Um, no one really gave us a chance. And to, to watch what Lamps has done down there has been brilliant. Um, yeah, and it's just been, for me, it's been a great season to watch. I've You get used in the Abramovich era to watching us just beat teams left, right and centre. I mean, you almost expect to win. And sometimes, as a, as a as a fan, that that magic disappears. Whereas now, we're not quite sure what's going to happen. We can see that Lamps has started from the bottom; he's building up a team again. And the next few years just look like they're going to get better and better. And unfortunately, that's just been been stopped for us. And there's millions of fans around the world at the moment that just can't wait for football to get back on again. And I'm I'm definitely one of them. When you when you go to Chelsea, when you go to the bridge and watch games, I know I know you and your colleague Rob Keogh go quite a bit. Um, do you go as a, just a genuine fan or do you go as a fan but also kind of like being a sportsman, you, you're going, oh, no, I know what pressure he's under and I know why he's done that, even if it's no. a different sport? No, no, I'm still heckling away. <laughs> no, I'm, um, I'm, a, I'm a big rugby and football fan and whenever I go, I just try and switch off. For me, it's a complete release. Um, I do find it amazing, though. When, when I hear some of the stuff that's shouted in the stands, obviously I can appreciate it a little bit more and... People have very, very short minds when they go to watch football matches. I remember the guy that sits next to me, whenever, whenever when Hazard was playing for us, he'd do the most magical stuff in the world. And the guy would just look at him, he's amazing, he's the best player in the world. And then two minutes later, he'd give the ball away. And he'd just say, he's rubbish, get him off. And that's, what, that's what's magical about football, though. It just, it just makes you happy and it's an entertaining place to go. Um, but yeah, I just, I just miss it, as, as I think we all do. Don't, don't tell me you think about that when you're batting. If you hit six, they, they're saying around the stands, oh, you know, you're the greatest thing 
you've ever seen at the county ground. <laughs> and then, and then uh, if, if not, if, you, if you're out first ball, as you're trudging off, they're all saying, ah, get him out of the team. Oh, you get it, you get it. But the thing is, when, you, when you're at a county championship game or somewhere, when there's only five or six people in the crowd, you, you can pick out the people that are shouting at you. So <laughs> I remember going, oh, Wakely, you're rubbish, you're rubbish. And then the next day, the guy's standing up and applauding you. So that's just part of being a sportsman. Um, you sign up to it when you sign a contract, you're in the entertainment business, we're there to entertain and when you're not doing that, people can say what they want. Well it's been a Ram show this week, hope you've enjoyed it, there'll be plenty more to come please listen to the Cricket Collective, that will be coming back to you on Tuesday and there'll be another New Zealand lockdown special interview following that as well. Thanks for listening, please review, subscribe to Spotify, Acast and Apple Podcasts, but for now that's it, thanks for listening. Hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bimbingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.